1: Thank you for all those who reached out to me during this trying time. You know, I had a wonderful trip with an amazing overnight at a resort on the beach in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It was a, a nice little diversion from the things that have been going on in the past few weeks. Unfortunately, uh, as you might be able to hear in my voice, I became a little sick towards the end of the trip. And I actually had to call in sick for my next trip that started only a day off, after a day off. So what happens when you call in sick at an airline? Well, before we start talking about that, a few quick announcements. First of all, the Aerospace Scholarships Guide, available online, has the new update. It's the May ninth, 2018 update. The June update will be coming shortly. Remember, if you purchased it at Amazon, you get one free year of the Aerospace Scholarships Guide online with proof of your receipt, your online receipt from uh, the Amazon store. If you use it, the iBook store, iBook store automatically updates the scholarships guide through the 2018 edition. And then when we come to the 2019 edition, it does the same thing. Uh, so uh, anyway, that's available. There's a couple new scholarships in there. So go check them out if you already signed up. If not, it's only $10 and you get one year access to the guide. You know, since they're still, you know, we're still months behind on the questions and We're thinking of adding a few episodes throughout the week until we're caught up. As a matter of fact, let's see. I think we're on uh, February, March... I can't remember. But anyway, we're, we're a few months behind on questions. If your question is specific or you need individual assistance, you can always sign up for career coaching a career coaching session at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. Check out the video. If that's something you're interested in, it's only $75 an hour. And, uh, of course, you can uh, set up your first lesson on there. It goes through a whole course on how to prepare for your first coaching lesson. If that's you that needs some career counseling to move forward uh, with your career, or to make a choice as to whether this is a good career change for you, whether it's in flying or as a mechanic, a flight attendant, etc. So anyway, let's move on with the episode, and uh, we'll, uh, we're going to make this a short episode. As you can tell, I'm, I'm lost a little bit of my voice, and I have had to wait a whole week before I can actually uh, record one of these. So getting back to my question before, you know, what happens when you call in sick in an airline? Because obviously, you know, I couldn't go to work. I was really sick. And I, I, boy, I hate being sick. I'd rather be out flying. But I'm finding as I get older, uh, I used to only get sick once a year. Now I'm getting sick twice a year. Uh That happens, I guess, after you hit 50 or something. Uh And... uh you know that if you got to call in sick, you got to call in sick. Uh, don't go to work if you're sick because there's a lot of issues, especially if you have, you know, an upper respiratory or you have problems with clearing your ears. You can actually make it worse. Uh, but so this this is what you, you, what happens at an airline. Remember. And if you call in sick, someone has to take your place to do those flights. So if you know you're sick, the best thing to do is if it's a you know, well in advance. I knew I was sick like two days in advance, but I was hoping I'd get better. So I didn't get better. So I said, okay, that's it. The night before I give them well over twelve hours notice to get someone else in there. Most airlines have about a two to three hour call out to bring in a reserve. Uh normally what happens when you call in sick on the operational side of things, they'll actually take that trip and usually put it into what's called an open time bucket. And that goes out there and is out on the internet where you can actually pick that up. If you're, say, a line holder, somebody has a regular schedule and you've got four days off, say my trip was a four-day trip, you can go ahead and schedule that. You can go right ahead and pick up that trip and make some extra money. Also, if uh, nobody picks it up, what they do is they leave it out there till. Sometimes three, four hours before, sometimes less, depending on the airline, etc. And then they give it to a reserve. And that's what we talked about. If if you're new to the airline, you're going to be the person that's on reserve or on call. So then they call on a reserve to cover that trip. And of course, this trip, I really didn't want to miss because it was a really cool trip. Uh, real relaxing, had some, some uh, nice overnights. Uh, in general, I don't ever want to miss work because I, I really enjoy my job. But someone else was able to pick that up. So you're probably thinking, now what happens? You know, we're we're paid by the hour. How about those hours when I actually had to get rid of that trip because I called in sick? Every airline has different policies. Normally what happens is you can either take that trip uh, through your sick leave and get paid for it, or say you don't want to burn up your sick leave. Many airlines have a certain number of days or a certain number of uh, hours, I should say, of sick time. So instead of doing that, when you call in sick, most airlines allow you to say, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to call in sick, but I don't want to go against my sick time. I want to do this unpaid. So what happens, you don't get paid for that sick time. So if you don't need the money, you know, go ahead and call in sick. If you want to save your sick time, do that. But, um, you know, for me, I was like, all right, I'll go ahead and get paid for that. So, uh I did get paid for that trip, and so it didn't change my paycheck for that week, which is a good thing, and that's why you have uh, paid sick time. You also have paid vacation, but that's di- divvied out a lot differently at some airlines. Some airlines have uh, what's called paid time off. It's one big bucket that's used for all your sick and all your personal time, et cetera. Uh, interestingly enough, if you're at a regional right now and you're thinking of moving on to a major, like myself, I had a ton of sick time in my sick bank. Boy, I could have been sick for, God, many, many months. Uh, didn't use those up. I had a lot of vacation time and never used up. Normally what happens if you're leaving one airline to another and you have a lot of accrued sick time and a lot of accrued vacation time, what they'll do is they'll actually pay you for your vacation time usually not for your sick time. So luckily, like when I changed from my regional to my major, I took no vacations knowing the whole year I was going to go to that major. So they actually paid me four weeks vacation, which is kind of cool because usually when you start a new job, there's a you know a lag in your pay. Like you start one job and then you get your paycheck later. A lot of airlines, uh, they don't pay you while you're in training, some airlines. So um, you may only get per diem, which is a, a very, very small check. Uh, another thing to think about. And uh, is not just the pay; it's also at most airlines you'll have uh, what's called an attendance policy, and the attendance policy is based on say how many uh, times you call in sick uh, or how many times you you drop a trip, et cetera. One of the things you have to be careful here is that if you do call in sick. Um, you make sure you have like a doctor's note or something. Airlines get it very particular about this. They don't want people just calling in sick to extend their vacations, et cetera. Um, a lot of times airlines, uh, let's give you an example. If you pay called in sick, excuse me, right before Christmas, say it was a week before Christmas and gives you all of Christmas off, you might get a call on that, uh, for their attendance policy. So make sure you document that you really were sick during that period. Um, my advice, go see a doctor and uh, and document that time you went to the doctor. Uh, do you need a note? Probably not. Um, your receipt from your doctor visit should be enough to say, hey guys, I went to the doctor. Or you know, the proof that you got some kind of medications, etc. should be uh, proof enough. But sometimes you do. Sometimes you do need to get a note. I know that this sounds like you're in high school again, but... Yeah, airlines, uh, one of the things about the airlines is their their dependability is very important amongst their employees. And uh, they do go after people that are abusing the policy as far as sick policies are concerned. Uh, this actually is a source of contention uh, amongst a lot of the people in the work groups, et cetera, uh, because of the fact that, you know, you could legitimately be really sick and be called into the office saying, "Hey, you know what 's going on here? Uh, usually, it just takes a note, so for instance, say you 're sick four times in a row, um, if you you know had some you know a accident or something, you got really sick, you got the flu you 're put in the hospital. all you got to do is prove that it 's not not that big of a deal, but just just a little bit different than most jobs. you really need." to document uh, what happened uh, while you were sick, that type of thing. I know it's kind of a pain, but it's kind of the way things have gone uh, within the industry. So with that said, again, my advice, you know, if you call on sick, make sure you have either a doctor's note or proof that you went to a doctor. So uh, let's move on to today's episode. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that I think, and you'll see in the title of this podcast, you know, this is your career. So don't treat it like a hobby. You know, when you realize that, I know aviation's fun, and I know it probably started off as something like a hobby, an avocation or whatever, but once you realize that this is your career, this is your profession, once you put that in your head, you're going to start making money. Because a lot of people that don't make money in this are the people that don't treat themselves as professionals. A good example is, uh, and this isn't, People that uh do this is on a volunteer basis i'm not talking about that. I'm talking about professionals that give away their time for free. It happens often I've seen it in the past. I see it happening now. People will go and get a job, and they'll say, "Hey, just pay me a dollar a month and I'll fly. I want to fly that jet, et cetera. We don't see that happening as much now because you know there's a little bit of a shortage of pilots in general. but remember, this is no longer your hobby, it's your career so with that said, if you're one of the people on the fence thinking about making this your career, that does change the dynamic for you. That changes the dynamic in that now you're no longer thinking about this as, as something that was an avocation or something that was purely a hobby. It's okay to have hobbies. It's okay to make money at your hobbies, to pay for your hobbies. That's cool. Uh, but you know that's more an avocation. This, this is a vocation. This is something that you do to make money. Now... I know a lot of people are going to ask me this. How about the person that has a 172 and flies on the weekends, but flies a big jetliner for the majors during the week? Well, that's different. The 172, that's their hobby. Should they fly like a professional pilot all the time? Of course. But... That is, there's a total difference there between flying the small plane and flying the big airlines. If you want to give away time, volunteer time, maybe give away some flight instructors, some young person or some person starting out, that's cool. You know, that's wonderful. But remember, when you're out there getting paid, this is you. This is your profession. And just like if you called your plumber to come over to your house to fix something, they're going to want to get paid person that's putting up the siding on your house, they're going to want to get paid. The pilot that's going to fly you from point A to B, they're going to want to get paid. Treat yourself like you're a professional and that you should also get paid like a professional. And that's really important for you to re- remember that and also realize that when you're you're starting out. And once you do, you know what? You'll start actually making money in uh, in this career of aviation. It really it's a it's a a little change in dynamic, but but it truly, truly does work. So again, I really highly recommend you think about think about this. If you're someone that's thinking about a change in careers, change in jobs, uh, to this, and is that going to ruin your hobby uh, by becoming having this as a career? In my case, it didn't. Uh, I still love what I do. Uh, can it be fun and be your profession? Oh yeah, and it should. It really is important to do something you love and to do something that you're passionate about, and that can become your profession. It's okay to have hobbies, but this is what you're getting paid to do and treat it as such. So anyway, let's get started with some questions. I know... I'm going to make this a little bit shorter of an episode. I know you can tell I'm uh, kind of struggling through this, but I had to get a podcast out. I know it's been a couple of weeks. But uh, anyway, uh, let's start with our first question from a, um, uh, someone who writes in. And again, I didn't know what the date was. I'm back in February right now trying to catch up from there. So maybe I'll start once my voice gets back 100%, I'm going to start trying to pump out these as much as I can. Anyway, it starts off with, uh, I'm sorry if this topic has been already brought up, but I was wondering if your views on accelerated flight schools versus your local FBO route. The accelerated school seems very attractive with their quote unquote guaranteed job, but is it really worth the extra money? Would I really have a harder time getting a job if I just did my training from a local FBO and built time as an instructor at the FBO? For my background, I'm a private pilot with about 100 hours total time, with an associate's degree in criminal justice. Thanks for your input. Oh, and by the way, don't, you know we have covered this a bunch of times, but it's good to hear these over and over and over again. And your situation might be a little bit different. So let's talk about the question uh, as far as accelerated training and, uh, and not accelerated training. Getting it done as quickly as you can has the positive effect of getting yourself to your career goal quicker, which enables you to make more money over a lifetime. So that's the bonus. The The part that you said about the quote-unquote guaranteed job, and is it really worth the extra money? So when you said extra money, that means you're probably paying a little bit more than going to the FBO. In this environment right now, um, I'd have to say probably not. You'd have to look at your own situation. But if you have a good network and you are in an area that has Many different flight schools and is in a good market. It all depends on where you are. It may be best to just not worry about the quote unquote guarantee job. And I know there's a lot of people sitting here just chomping at the bit saying, Listen, they're dying for flight instructors right now. Most schools are, some aren't, but most schools are looking for flight instructors. In this environment, you could hang up a shingle as a flight instructor and probably make some money. I would, I would. I highly suggest you go work for a flight school first and build a clientele. Um, But yeah, you're right at that point. um, And, you, I don't think you're going to have any difference getting a job uh, local FBO route or going the accelerated training route. Uh, so take that as it may and uh, and go forward with that. Obviously, you can if you want to discuss your specific uh, path and, and your situation, we, we do coaching. Obviously, we can't talk about that here as far as the personal stuff. But uh, it really is important to look at your own situation and say, yeah, this is the best route for me. Moving on to the next question it says hi first of all love the podcast i've listened to at least 10 of them and more every day <laughs> i'm encouraged by the fact that i'm not the only person after 30 years old looking to change careers I'm 35 now and own two restaurants and feel this is my calling i love to fly don't have any certifications but have flown in small aircraft for the last 2 years with friends who take me up i'm currently visiting flight schools in my area i'm lucky enough to have four to choose from Wow, that's great. I found that one of them is advertising, quote-unquote, pilot finance, or pilot finance is the name of the company. It's a financing company for flight training. was wondering if you or anyone might have some feedback on them, hoping to choose a school and start my training to become a professional pilot by March. <laughs> Sorry, this is a little bit late here. Thanks again and can't wait to hear the next episodes. Um, as far as pilot finance is concerned, it's very similar to a credit card. The rates are a little bit better, I found, in pilot finance, uh, but there isn't much of a difference uh, between the pilot finance and a credit card. A few little intricacies. I, I shouldn't say that because the, the person is going to be mad that <laughs> owns pilot finance. But it really is. You, they're they're geared more towards working with flight schools and uh, and are able to get you a little bit a little bit better rates, et cetera, and uh, and they work. Directly financing to towards your flight school. Uh, one advantage is that's what they're doing is financing your flight training. With a credit card, you're financing many other things on that. Uh, and it's tempting, if, especially if you get a high limit, to start using that in another manner. But yeah, Pile of Finance, uh, similar to another, it's a revolving credit line. Uh, the rates are pretty high because of that, but traditionally a little bit lower than uh, most uh, regular revolving credit or credit cards, as they might say. So, the way I did, I used a credit card. Uh, you may look at it, pilot finance might be better for you, or do a hybrid approach, that type of thing. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, hopefully they'll come on the show sometime. We still have that invitation out there. Thanks for the question. Uh, anyway, moving on to the next one it says, Hello, I'm a Marine Osprey pilot, 600 total hours, approximately 100 fixed wing, uh, over 350 in powered lift, about 40 hours multi engine. I have my commercial certification with single and multi-engine land, rotorcraft, rotocraft and powered lift, instrument, airplane, helicopter, uh, and uh, also has a Beach 200 rating. I want to one day enter the majors. Um, so what should I be doing now? And he's a few years from retirement or his end of service. Should I pay a school $6,000 to get my ATP? Should I be building my fixed wing PIC on the weekends? Should I spend some big money and start getting lots of multi-engine time? Should I just wait and use the RTP program? And since I don't know the right answers, what I do to move forward is, is volunteer for all extra flights I possibly can with my squadron. And I fly a Cessna 150 on the weekends very cheaply because the owner of the aircraft I fly is an AMP. But maybe my plan isn't the best or most efficient for my goals. Thanks for your help. You know, there might be some other things as far as your goals and that, that you might not be bringing out because it might be personal. But in general, going back to the one question you said about paying, uh, to get your ATP. I don't think that's a great idea at this point because there are so many uh, airlines out there that are going to pay for your ATP. Not only that, they have these rotor transition programs. You said RTP. You meant to say rotor transition programs. I should have spelled that out. So you you might want to think about that. I think what you're doing is great, building some time, et cetera. Um, if you have time, of course, and you want to build uh, some extra time as a single-engine pilot might not be a bad idea to do some flight instructing, but it sounds like you're you 're building a few hours uh, uh, on the your, your time off so I really especially since you have a few years. Uh, towards you move to that whole end of service. One of the things I'd highly recommend, sounds like you're really into flying is and being with people and flying with them. I'd highly recommend you possibly look at being a flight instructor. Sounds like you're, uh, you're the t- type of person that, uh, that really would be good as, a, as an instructor because it sounds like you really love it because you're out there flying all sorts of different things. And again, thanks for your service. Hope that's helped. And uh, let's see, moving on to our next question. Uh, it says, Hi Carl, I'm doing some research at the moment and trying to find a flight program that has an associate's degree attached to it. I'm being told by my attorney that I qualify only for education to replace the income that I was last making, uh, though I made a lot more in the past when I was injured on the job. I was making an entry level salary of about 35,000 a year. I believe many entry level flight positions. Pay about that, like flight instructor, etc. They can, as long as you're busy. The thirty-five thousand, you know, you can definitely make that or more as a busy flight instructor. Uh, but again, you're gonna have to build up that business. It doesn't happen overnight because you're paid by the hour. Um, some have some guarantees. By the way, in the beginning, they'll pay you a certain amount for the first six weeks or so, um, or you know, just give you a guaranteed rate. I see that happening a lot too. They say, okay, we're gonna pay you based on, um, say, fifty-five or sixty-five hours a month of flight instructing. But the problem is if you become a busy flight instructor, you're still only making 65 hours. Uh, so my suggestion, if you're any good, is just hold off and and just uh, try to build the, the clientele and build up your hours. It's kind of like being an insurance agent, but it doesn't take that long to build up. Anyway, he continues on uh, talking about how work, workers' compensation insurance pays for schools, books, travel, et cetera, um, and told that the program should be an associate's degree for two years. Uh, I can reach for a bachelor's, but would have to do that on my own frankly, I'd like to get to work ASAP. So a two-year program that earns me flight training wings is what I'm looking for. Well, and that's what most people do at these schools. They get their, a lot of people, I should say, do this. They get their associate's degree, they go for a regional or flight instruct, and they finish up their four-year degree uh, later on. So there's a lot of people in that situation. One of the things he continues, says, the attorney skept- is skeptical as mostly flight as just a quote-unquote cool thing to do for fun, when in reality it's a profession that takes hard work, sacrifice, and commitment. It's also rare that disability services have covered this type of training, though as mentioned, the Veterans Administration has supposedly started paying for disabled vets to fly in the civilian world, as long as a degree was associated with training. I have a present plan to uh, to the Department of Vocational Rehab and get them on board with my uh, idea. Worse comes worse. That I will pay for a portion, and they'll take out loans for the rest, and that's fine. Anyway, I'd appreciate any input uh, as far as you know moving forward. And obviously, I have to know more about the specific situation because we can't talk about everything here in your situation. But yes, there's many ways to move forward, especially if you're moving into another degree or another pro or another career. Excuse me. In that, you can use those benefits, uh, and obviously, working with your attorney, you have to you have to convince them that. And that's why I started this. This is not a hobby. This is a career. And this is what, this this kind of bugs me. I mean, yes, I understand if you're just going out there to get your private pilot certificate and you're just going to fly recreationally, uh, and that's a wonderful thing, and it's good for your life and good for your career in general, it's still not paying for a specific career. But you're not looking at doing that. You want to move forward in flying for an airline, get your commercial license. And that's what you have to stress. Not that you're going to get your pilot certificate. You're going to get your commercial pilot certificate presented that way because it's not just a cool thing to do. You know, it is a cool thing to do, and, and this kind of bugs me a lot of times. Is that you know people say, "Oh yeah, that flying for an airline thing." You know, that's that's a great little hobby and all, but you know, you really don't want to do it for a, for a living. I tell you what, when you're when you're at the end of your career and you're sitting there with millions of dollars in your four hundred one k, that is not just a hobby, that's a career. And there's not a lot of people that have that opportunity, that they get all that money put into the retirement plans. Incredible. You heard about the incredible pensions in the past, and the fact that they paid out an amazing amount of dollars in their pensions for airline pilots. Well, pensions now are 401ks, and they're putting in lots of money into your 401k. And you can also match that. Think about this. I think it's like 50-some-odd thousand dollars towards the end of your career you can uh, put into your account or just in general uh, into your 401k. Don't quote me on that number, but it's pretty darn high. Every year. Imagine what that'll be after 30 years of a career and saving that kind of money. And that's why I tell people is that I know we all complain about, man, we always want to make more money and stuff like that, but it is a terrific career and you will have a great retirement. And, and I know... And this is another comment I get from a lot of people that aren't airline pilots. And a lot of people tell me this. They, say, like, they like the fact that I don't talk about my, my 401k and all that, because that's what most airline pilots talk about, right? Well, you know, when I'm out there flying general aviation, I'm not going to talk about that stuff. I want to talk about airplanes. And the reason I think that you're hearing that feedback is, and I talk about that a lot here on the show, as far as your retirement plans are concerned, is the fact that you know when you're you're given much you you have a lot of responsibility also you know there's pluses and minuses to to having some money in the bank that type of thing you look at any career airline pilot and you're talking about about an eight million dollar career, you know. In other words, that's the earnings over your lifetime, with ending up between anywhere from one to three million dollars in your account and more in your retirement account. That's a lot of money. Uh, that's actually a really good living in retirement, and um, and that's what you need to really be retire comfortably to replace your your uh, income as a as an airline pilot, as a major airline pilot. So one of the things that I really try to stress to people is, yeah, this isn't just a hobby it's not just a cool thing to do and to travel it's a wonderful career that has is a, a lucrative career also both financially from your paycheck and also in your retirement. So go to your attorney and tell them that and explain that to them, that you're looking at an $8 million career. And, uh, and that, that's a lot of money. Uh, and make sure you go back, and you, you gotta present it differently. Just like I said before, when you stop treating this like a hobby, start treating it like a career, you're gonna start making money. When you're telling people that you're gonna become a pilot, tell them you're gonna become a commercial pilot. Don't just tell them you're gonna become a pilot, you're gonna become a commercial pilot, meaning you're gonna be a professional pilot, and you 're going to fly commercially you 're going to get paid to do that and by the way, for those listening that, that like just listen to this and are our hobbyists there 's not uh, yeah I believe you 're a professional pilot also you treat it professionally. you treat what you do flying professionally. I want to make that distinction there 's a lot of people who don 't have a commercial certificate that I feel fly very professionally, and that 's important it 's a, a different it 's a philosophy, but as far as a profession this is a profession, stop treating it as a hobby. And that's quite important. So, hopefully, that's answered your question. Uh, if any more specifics, obviously, we can talk more offline on, in our coaching session. Moving on, uh, last question says, uh, Good day, I'm having trouble financing flight school. It's expensive. And I have some uh, items in collection because I was out of work and no credit wants to offer me a loan to cover flight school nor a cosigner. Uh, I get it. Flight school is expensive. It says, my spouse has cosigned for a car for us, but otherwise I will try to work two jobs and pay out of pocket. But that is risky too. I'm in a large metropolitan area where everything is expensive. Any insight on how I can get to flight school and such loans with no cosigner? Schools want to charge over 200 an hour, part 141, even if I'm doing ground school online. I get it. It's expensive, and flight school is going to be expensive. And many times, the, the ones that you go to are that are accelerated are going to be even more expensive because there is value in getting your ratings quickly. And they know that. There's value, like we talked about before, accelerated flight schools. There's value in getting your ratings quickly because then you start making money as a pilot. It adds many more years to your retirement and to your financial plan in the future. I do have one suggestion, though. There is a a book out there, and I I highly recommend it to people that have had um, any type of struggles in the past – uh, with, with finances. Believe me, I've been there. Uh, I've, I've gone through getting myself into half a million bucks in the hole and had to crawl out of that. That took a long time to get out of that one. And, uh, and it took a a huge change in lifestyle to do that. Uh, I had to live at home with parents for a while. I had to pay all those big loans off and start it over again. And one of the people that I think is really good at jump-starting and restarting your financial life is this guy, Dave Ramsey. And he's got a a book out there called The Total Money Makeover. And there's a thing called The Total Money Makeover Workbook. Uh, I put a link to that. He has all these different courses out there. has a radio show. Great guy as far as motivating you to change your direction and change your path so that you can get out of debt. And start making money and saving money so you can move forward in your life and your career. And that's what you want to do. But that would be one of the things I'd I'd say because a little bit of change every day in our financial life will make a huge difference. Hope that helps. Well, just like in, in anything in aviation or any part of life, it starts off with just one step towards your goal, whether it's in your financial life, which you're talking about, or whether it's in moving forward in your career to build your hours, to get your ratings and to move forward in what it is you want to do as a career. The way you do that is very simple. You take action right now. When you turn off this podcast, I want you to actually go out there and do something. Do something right now that'll actually help you move forward in your career. It might be buying that book that I talked about. I have links in the show notes. It might be looking at your iPhone right now while you're listening to this and clicking on some of the things I talked about and clicking on the websites. Might be looking at the financial aspect of it and seeing if there's other avenues uh, for that financing. There might be out there. But the most important thing I want you to do is I want you to do something right now. I want you to do something today, whether it's writing down a note saying, I'm going to do this when I get home. You know, if you're in your car, wait till you pull over. Use your little, if you have one of those iPhones or other devices, write down a note to yourself. But I want you to do that. I want you to do that now. And with that, you'll move forward in your career a lot quicker than you'll ever expect. It just takes one step today. We'll
0: talk to you next episode